1: Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show was recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri peoples for 3CR Melbourne. Australia is the world's largest producer and exporter of lithium, supplying 54.4% of the world's market in 2019. 95% of Australia's ore based raw material is exported to China, contributing to the clean tech battery transition. On today's show, we hear from Liz Downs from the Rainforest Action Group and PhD student and AidWatch committee member Claire Burgess about the issues surrounding lithium production and whether it really is the answer to zero emissions.
2: Hi, I'm Claire and Liz. Thank you for joining us on the radioactive show. Can I get you both to introduce yourselves a little bit, please? Can we start with maybe Liz?
0: I'm a, a campaigner for the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group, which um, as even though part of the rainforest part of the of the name we have actually we've been getting a lot into um, mining issues lately, uh, not just in rainforest but also in other parts of the world so um, and that's uh, rainforest action groups part of the rainforest information Center and which does campaign on rainforest.
2: Thanks for that Liz and Claire tell us about you.
3: Hello, Mara. Thanks for having us on the show. Um, Yeah, I'm a PhD student at the moment at the University of Tasmania. I'm in the uh, geography division and looking at sort of environmental conflicts um, that are occurring due to this um, increased demand of transition minerals for the clean energy transition. Um, And, yeah, previously been involved in aid Sort of uh, NGO, so lived in Myanmar for some time working on um, sort of land related issues over there
2: as well. So you've seen the damage done firsthand. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, that. Let's start with just a bit of a intro to green extractivism. What is it? Yeah, good question.
3: Well, First, I think it's it's important to point out um, what extractivism is. So this is a word that's come from scholars in Latin America um, who are at the forefront often of the extraction of the raw materials in the global south in that area. So global extractivism speaks to the over-exploitation of the natural world uh, Predominantly for rich nations' consumption, um, which has placed sort of extreme stresses on ecosystems. Um, And one of the symptoms of this sort of heavy extractive model that's been going on intensively since colonialism is climate change. And so when we talk about green extractivism, we're talking about the intensification of this kind of extractive system um, under the guise of climate action policies.
2: Mm, That's a bit misleading, isn't it? Today's show we're going to focus on the lithium aspect of so-called green extractivism. But the funniest thing I've heard in the last week or so from our leader Scott Morrison was how great we are at digging stuff up. So <laughs> um, that was that was something to be proud of. Um, so yeah. on that note, one of the things I want to dig up in more of in Australia is lithium. Can you? Tell us a bit about that, um, what's it for and what about the extraction with lithium is of concern?
3: It's, it's not so much the lithium itself, it's sort of the um, industrial and extractive response to climate change which is sort of driving up this huge increase in demand for lithium-ion batteries. The demand for lithium-ion batteries is predominantly for private vehicle consumption of electric vehicles. And this is meaning that destructive industries are expanding and getting to continue polluting Indigenous lands and biodiverse ecosystems. So one of those industries is the lithium industry because lithium is an important material for this uh, transition. Lithium is a preferred sort of low electrode potential, low atomic mass That allows for a high charge and a power to weight ratio, which means that the product is really compact and powerful compared to other rechargeable batteries. So it's um, considered, you know, perfect for this transition. However, lithium isn't a renewable resource, it's a finite resource. The high energy density and sort of long lifespan of this product means that it'll require a lot of energy-intensive polluting mining. So the extraction of any raw material is fairly costly. Um, it's energy-intensive and ultimately quite harmful to the environment. And we've seen a lot of impacts on already of loss of biodiversity. And on top of that, you've got the energy that's required to sort of transport the material internationally once it is extracted, and that is carbon emissions-heavy On its own. But then you've got these two main sort of ways of extracting lithium. So you've got the brine mining or the mining that occurs in Australia. So I'll speak a little bit to the brine mining at the moment. So the brine mining occurs in the salt flats. And we've got Australian companies engaged in this practice. And Liz will probably talk a bit about those impacts on the communities there in Argentina and Chile. So You need about 500,000 gallons of water to extract one metric tonne of lithium. So, yeah, the water is used um, then to create this sort of mineral-rich mixture of brine to obtain lithium from the salt flats. And then the mixture is left to evaporate. And after sufficient filtration, the lithium carbonate can be extracted. So the process itself is pretty harmful to the soil producing toxic chemicals and they often leak into waterways. There's a lot of stress on existing water resources and and communities and folks are concerned about water justice around this. Um, And so the Australian lithium is different, so that involves hard rock mining. Just, you know, imagine your huge open pit hole. Um, It's been blasted. You're digging up earth with lots of heavy machinery deforesting the surrounding ecosystem as you go and once the deposit has been identified hard rock is it is a faster and process than the the brine sort of process Um, so you can extract large quantities of lithium but again it's very energy intensive process to um, separate the lithium from the materials Um, and you find that This process is blamed for a lot of land and river-based pollution. Concerns are already being raised, you know, around there's the largest deposit uh, in the world that hasn't actually been fully exploited yet, Um, but there's a sacred river there um, that is a sacred site for the Indigenous folk. and um, There's a lot of concern around how that could be significantly damaged so, yeah, that's what the main concern is with um, this. And I think it's not so much, you know, we have been using raw materials for quite some time now to create the world that we live in and, and the civilization that we have. But the intensification of um, mining that's required for this transition is quite humongous. We're looking at from 500 to 1000% increase in demand. Um, for lithium and so one of the largest um, projects lithium projects at the moment that's being that an application has gone through to to try and get access to land for which is a Australian company Rio Tinto and Serbia we're going to require 40 times more of that size mine in order to um, meet the initial targets of a clean energy transition and then these products also need replacing, you know, once they are um, expired.
2: Doesn't sound like a great solution to an energy crisis or transition from what you've said so far, Claire. What's the um, focus of your PhD research? Yeah, so my
3: PhD research is sort of looking at this this whole idea of green mining and um, trying to problematise the logic behind it and expose the sort of hidden um, empower, uh, power imbalances that often are not transparent when it comes to these kind of solutions so on the surface it seems like um, these technologies are going to bring about a better world and that's what the kind of rhetoric we're hearing so my research is going to look at the discourses um, and how language is used to create this new sort of um, what they're calling like new world um, sort of clean transition like what it what um, what language is being used to sell this continuation of basically the same kind of destructive practices that caused the problem in the first place? Um, so, I'm going to look at three different case studies around this across the the Asia Pacific region because it's sort of an under
2: um, researched area. That sounds really great and important work, Claire, but um, be careful not to get too dizzy from all the spin you have to wade through.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm already getting Uh, uh, spinny.
2: I imagine. (laughs) Um, What's the lithium policy context in Australia and also overseas? I imagine there's a whole lot of the more the better, whatever way you can get it, dig it up, displace and destroy. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, Well,
3: as we... As we know, Australia hasn't been a leader as such around climate policies. So, here there's um, been a lag in terms of this kind of green growth approach of electrifying vehicles or switching from one energy source to another. And so, there hasn't been policies from Australia that are really playing into the increase of demand, but there's certainly, you know, uh, policies here that are friendly to investment into mining as we know um this has sort of been a uh, important industry for australia it's it's been at the heart of our economic growth here so um the policies that support lithium mining are sort of already in place and and that sort of concerns me because we know that um our environmental policies aren't quite up to scratch and these are the kind of policies that will be relied upon to to determine whether the projects can go ahead or not. And it's not so much that the policies aren't great, it's more that there's a lot of tick and flick when it comes to um, going through the processes of impact assessment. Um, yeah, so that's Australian policy context. Um, and, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, sorry, with Scott Morrison. He's obviously now... Clued on to the fact that Australia's going to make a lot of money out of this, or Australian companies in the mining sector out of this transition. So, talking up the mining sector is part of that, and 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 part of him greening his image. I am, I imagine. So then you go to the global policies. What are really driving um, the lithium demand is, and it's happened quite quickly. It's since sort of Biden got into um, power in the US, he made a clear stance that he was going to drive this sort of green transition, which is fairly extractive and and infrastructure heavy. So wanting to create jobs and uh, build new technologies. And I think he's also really keen to ensure that the US remains competitive with China because China's capturing a lot of this market. They've been thinking ahead when it comes to transitioning, and so they do capture a lot of the market at the moment. So he's trying to really push forward and remain economically competitive with China through his policy approaches. I think he wanted to roll out 500,000 different electric vehicle power charge points across the US during his time, so really heavy on the transition from one vehicle engine, conventional engine, to the new electric lithium-ion battery engine. So that's US and EU's um, launched this Green New Deal and that's really also, again, extractive, heavy, intensive infrastructure, green growth-based sort of policies that are sort of focused on transitioning away from fossil fuels and decarbonizing into um, clean energy technologies and not a lot of focus on reducing consumption and things like that or trying to degrow the economy in a way that's sort of more focused on um sectors that are perhaps more um caring towards the the environmental or people (laughs) there's that and then china has been pretty ahead of the game and they've got a lot of um Uh, subsidies in place and you know you can't go into the main cities there without having an electric vehicle so they're really um and they've allowed Tesla to come in and normally um companies that operate within China need to engage in a joint joint venture partnership so that the um technologies are, are shared in terms of intelligence around how the technologies are created and then you know China Chinese companies can benefit from the profits but with Tesla they'll just like come in and you can you know own your factory outright because we see electric vehicles are being as being really important for the future and China supplies a lot of those batteries that are processed. The raw material comes from predominantly from Australia and then it's processed and made in China and then it goes into Tesla's vehicles so they've been at the forefront of these policies too.
1: You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're learning about the issues surrounding lithium with Liz Downs from the Rainforest Action Group and PhD student and AidWatch Committee member Claire Burgess.
2: Now, Liz, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about who are the key Australian lithium miners, what are they up to here and overseas, and maybe some case studies. Lithium mining in Australia...
0: historically has been concentrated in Western Australia and around a couple of major lithium mines, which Claire's already mentioned, greenbushes. So there there is some expansion now um, into other states. Um, We've got a company called Australia Lithium Exploring in Cape York at the moment. And... I guess, you know, it, when we have, we're looking at case studies, we're looking at front lines. And one of the main things that is in common with all of this expansion and exploration is that it's expanding into, obviously, <laughs> the lands of people who have not been consulted um, or have no um, actual right to say no to this, this mining expansion. So the, the Cape York example is local Aboriginal corporations there. There's It's um, Aboriginal freehold land. Ocola aboriginal corporate corporation basically don't have the right to say no to mining companies prospecting and there's a lot of them including for lithium so at the moment there's a bit of a native title battle happening around lithium exploration there in um, across the world we have rio tinto um is the culprit in so many um damaging mining operations worldwide so mm. they they are moving into Serbia at the moment. Um, there's a, a deposit they've called in, in the Jeddah region. Local people they're very worried about um, their thousands of year old cultural heritage, also food production areas, also in, incredible natural environments um, that that Rio are again, greenwashing that they're going to help protect, but in the rea- reality, people are very concerned about Rio's obvious impact in other parts of the world <laughs> and not really trusting the greenwash too much. And, and of course, in um, the, what's the salt flats or the solaras in Argentina, um, Bolivia and Chile, horrific environmental impact, as Claire's already um, alluded to, with lithium as it is in the world's driest regions in the Atacama mm. Desert. Um, we have a couple of companies out there, Orocobre, which have recently merged with Galaxy Resources to make an even bigger multi conglomerate. And they're going into a place called the, the Salare de Kujui. And there again, Indigenous people there who have already seen massive um, reductions in their water supply. There's issues of the right to say no, mm. which has not been honoured by any mining company, frankly, including lithium mining companies.
2: So you've both recently authored a statement is Australian lithium the answer to zero emissions is it the answer to zero emissions I think I know the answer
3: Yeah well I think it's happening so fast is why um we we're, we're wanting to get get some information out there because it's just happening so rapidly the price and the demand and the exploration is is occurring so it's so important that those folks who are you know genuinely wanting to create a a future that is just but also um, ecologically sound and supportive of nature I think it's important for the climate movement to know about these sort of risks that have probably been hidden away or or not quite considered in terms of how how big the scale is of in terms of how much mining might go on. That's a good opportunity to look at like the the root causes really of climate change and how it's kind of interlinked Mm. with justice and um, colonial impacts, like the the, um, the holistic way of looking at, this issue like climate change is is a symptom of something bigger that's been going on for some time now and it's a chance to speak to some of those things too i think but um yeah we wanted to be in solidarity with the yes to life no to mining statement um and liz is part of that group and she's probably better to share a bit more about um yeah what they were aiming to do with their communique
0: yeah. So, yes to life, no to mining is a global solidarity network of frontlines and and activists supporting frontlines um, against uh, unwanted mining projects. Um, and yes to life, no to mining has been focused very much recently more on green extractivism because it's became, becoming such a hot topic, particularly now. So, in the lead up to the COP twenty six in Glasgow. Um, we can be guaranteed that the COP26 itself is only going to talk about zero carbon as fast as possible and, um, you know, electrify transport as fast as possible. And it's going to be very Europe uh, dominant, EU dominant, uh, US dominant, Green New Deal. So um, it, a concurrent to that, there's a, a people's conference being organised, as, as there is every year, to get voice um, other voices in. Um, And there's gonna be a heavy presence this year on the green extractivism because there's so many front lines. So this communique is part of that process, really wanting to get, because lithium is just probably, you know, one of the most important minerals at the moment in the green transition. There's so many um, voices coming through saying, hey, we're having this mining on our land, it's causing environmental damage. We are really worried about these companies they have bad records. Um, So yeah, we, we, in this communique, we also um we addressing the fact that australia and the pacific region generally and the global south really um anyway but australia has its own uh, unique sort of perspective on the lithium problem in particular because we are currently um, producing 55 percent of the world's lithium <laughs> supply yeah. um mainly to europe and china so yep so that's how we came to be Part of that initiative.
2: Oh, it's so important. What alternatives to lithium would you recommend, or lithium production anyway?
0: And it's an interesting one because you can't really talk about alternatives, it's really without talking about kind of uh transforming our entire society and our entire way of, of doing things. I'm not actually um, opposed to that,
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> um, and I think you know very few of us would be in, in this space, so. Um, yes the life note mining has uh, um uh, written down you know just basically laid out you know what we need to do as alternatives to green extractivism and there include really big goals like we need to reduce our demand for materials and energy um in the global north uh, you know we, we just need to look at our addiction to um unfettered growth mm. and, and practices that aggressively reduce consumption um, and support alternatives to individual vehicle travel, which is pretty damn obvious. <laughs> uh, putting effort into, but just putting money into developing, um where anyway, we can reuse uh, these metals like lithium, but it's very expensive. And currently the companies are all putting their energies into digging the stuff up because it's quicker to get rich that way. Um, and less annoying to have to sort of, you know, put money into research. So there's that. And the right to say no is really, really important. Frontline communities are going to bear the effects of a mine long into the future. They're going to bear all the impacts and they should have the right to refuse to be sacrificed zones for the wider global community.
3: I think it's important also to mention that Indigenous groups are currently the guardians of, I think it's 70% of the world's remaining biodiverse regions. And those regions are really amazing carbon intensive storage areas. Indigenous resistance to uh, various different projects across the world has led to a immense reduction in emissions so really supporting the rights of indigenous folk to remain on their lands and protect their lands in, in the ways that they have done so
2: for you know time immemorial is really important. So this is really important stuff, the transition into a better energy future. How can listeners support the campaign or get involved?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly mention a couple of things. Uh, people can go and Google some of these organisations that were involved in this network. Definitely check out Yes to Life, No to Mining, YLNM, um, just Google that and it will bring you to the website, it's got all the communiques, all the different front, you know, front lines, events. Um, you know, if if you're a front, on a front line, become a member. Um, it's really important that, you know, th- this is, <laughs> that, that voices are able to um, have, have traction against the loudest voices that are always getting heard in these big climate summits. Um, aid watch, uh, is a partner in the, um, communique we've just put out. So you can check out aid slash watch dot org. Um. The Rainforest Action Group, we well the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group, but we just say RAG. Um, Google that, and we, we're doing a bunch of stuff around Ecuador in particular, because um, I think in a future program, <laughs> hopefully we'll be able to talk a bit about copper, and that's another one of those minerals that's being um, massively overexploited in um, particularly in indigenous and biodiverse regions. So check out that, and also tune into the COP People's Conference on the fourth to the seventh of November, directly after the um, or during the um, the Glasgow COP conference, and that's where all these frontlines are going to be getting sessions to be able to talk about their issues.
3: Also, you can follow Liz and I on um, Twitter. So I'm my handle is at Claire Burgeau. Great. So I share a lot about GE Green Extractivism on
2: there. I'll put all the links and everything on our webpage. Liz Downs and Claire Burgess, thank you so much for explaining the issues surrounding lithium and the road to renewables on the radioactive show today. I really appreciate your time and we'll do a future show on copper and then we'll um, keep a part of the conversation because people need to know that there's a right way and a wrong way to it for a green transition.
1: Thanks so much to Liz Downs from the Rainforest Action Group and PhD student and AidWatch committee member Claire Burgess for explaining the problems with so-called green extractivism, the issues surrounding lithium production for the transition to renewable energy and whether it really is the answer to zero emissions. To learn more about the issue, you can read the Australian Lithium Statement Is Australian Lithium the Answer to Zero Emissions at aidwatch.org.au slash alternatives to green extractivism. Case studies can be viewed there as well. The Australian Lithium Statement is in support of the Yes to Life, No to Mining Global Network Lithium Communique No. 1 on the front lines of lithium mining. You can find more information as well at rainforestactiongroup.org. We'll post these links on our website. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at 3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us at radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear, peace and energy issues.